Here we is. Once a giz. Once a giz, we his again. Once a whiz, we his a giz. Once we is, we his a giz. And his we is, once a giz, as the heart of the dad. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Dude, you got to be careful not to go into the Bill Cosby, dude. You could do, you could do Bill Cosby up until he, you found out he was raping ladies. And now if you do Bill Cosby, you're like, what does that even mean now? He puts the medicine in the coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. That's fucking cancelable. That guy is a total piece of shit. And he should burn in. This is a shame there's no hell for him to burn in for all eternity. And that should be clear to anyone with a soul. And I don't even believe in souls. How weird is it that that these, like, I loved Bill Cosby as a kid. Yeah. Fucking grew up with Fat Albert, watched the Cosby show. I fucking loved O.J. Simpson as a kid. He was my favorite athlete. Right. Two guys who just, like, what is that? There's a kind of a big conversation happening in the Metal Your Podcast world right now about the idea of like it really is about all this shit coming out about Marilyn Manson it's kind of triggered it of like what do you do when you like someone's art and then they they disappoint you and I actually quoted your song everything you love in talking about this because the chorus which obviously you know because you wrote it is that God will destroy everything you love if you live long enough and that's just a poetic artful way to describe it but it's like you put enough time on something I mean, not all people turn out to be like Bill Cosby, but you put enough time on it and these people are just bound to disappoint in profound ways. But what Bill Cosby did and what OJ did, that is, and I think Marilyn Manson is in this camp a little bit. And and Michael Jackson is another guy. I mean, I wasn't a big Michael Jackson fan, but people loved Michael Jackson and when you find out that he's a pedophile, like for like 100% that he's a pedophile. Yeah. Yeah, what do you do if you love that music? Well, here's here's how I've been able to separate this for me. I think it's all personal. I think what you have to do is see if you can listen to it. You may be able to put on Beat It and be like, I have no problem. And I think if that's true, then listen to it and have a good time. For me, for Ryan Adams, I put the records on and I, I it's just not the same, man. It's over. Right. It's over. With Michael, I took the records out of the shelf. So I don't, I'm not like, oh, I think I'll listen to a pedophile today. But I will occasionally hear Thriller or Billie Jean or Man in the Mirror out in the world because it's Michael fucking Jackson. And I will be like, man, these are some of the greatest songs ever written and recorded. I just can't deny it. And I let myself have those moments because in some ways, what that piece of shit did behind closed doors doesn't have anything to do with how I relate to the song that I've loved since I was a kid. And I don't, he can't have that. But I let my guiding light be how I feel. And when I hear Thriller, it it brings me joy. That's it. When I hear Ryan Adams, it makes me think of the people he hurt. And so I can't, I can't enjoy it. Here's what's weird about Ryan Adams. I felt that way before I found out anything about him. Like I would just listen to Ryan Adams and I would just think about all the people he was hurting, mainly me. Like hurting me with his songs. I was like, you're hurting me, motherfucker. Right. And now that I found out he was actually like preying on people, which by the way, that's what everybody does. 
by the way, every building that you see in the world is just somebody trying to get laid. Every well, well, break, every medical breakthrough is somebody trying to get laid. That's different than preying on people. Well, what is preying on people? Well, I mean, what is he doing? He's like, oh, you want to be on my tour? Great. So I can spend more time with you and maybe we can eventually have some sex. That's what people do. That's not like, that's not drugging somebody and raping them. That's not like cornering somebody in, at a bar in, in a restroom and pulling your dick out and fucking I assaulting know. somebody. I know. But let's move. It's, let's, it's a completely different thing. I know. Let's move on. I don't, I don't like when we put more chapters in the Bob Defends Ryan Adams book. I don't like that book. I get it. I know what you mean, and I I don't disagree with you, but I don't want to talk about it. I'm not defend. I'm not defending him. I don't. I, the thing about him is, I don't care, and you care. If I found out that Tom Waits or Randy Newman was doing that, I know it's like, what do you do? It's same with like factory farming. Like, if you've ever driven by a a, a cattle lot where there's factory farming, you can see t- true horror on the earth. Now, can you go to Burger King and put that out of your mind and and enjoy a delicious Whopper? I can sometimes. And then sometimes I'll remember, oh, this is probably factory farmed beef and I'm helping maintain that. So I'm not going to do it. When I go to the store, do I ever buy that kind of beef? No, I only buy pasture raised beef, period. But I saw something recently where they were talking about Impossible Burger and how much better that is for the environment. And I was like, why don't I just buy Impossible meat instead of hamburger? And I think I'm going to do that from now on because it's better for the environment. So really what it is is what can you put out of your mind and what can't you? Yeah, I can't put Michael Jackson out of my mind. Right. I'm never going to enjoy that music. I can't pull put Bill Cosby out of my mind. I'll never enjoy that. I can't put OJ Simpson out of my mind as a murderer. I can't enjoy any of those like police. Uh, what was the thing he was in? Oh, uh, uh, well, he was in those national lampoon films. No, he was in the, he, he was, was in, in the, the naked the, gun, naked gun. I can't enjoy it. When he shows up in naked gun, I'm like, it's not funny. No. This is a murderer. And uh, but what do you think? Of, but, okay, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that's the way people are like, what do we do? How do we separate? It's like, you just have to be a big boy or a big girl and decide for yourself. What do you say to the people who are like, oh, no problem. I have no problem watching Bill Cosby or listening to Michael Jackson. That's their, that's their prerogative. Like Bobby Brown said. Like when Bobby, Bobby Brown, Brown said it. Bobby Brown said dude, it. When, when Bobby Brown went into that studio where it was all white floors and ground and him and two other dancers choreographed some moves and we're saying, Hey bitch, it's my prerogative as a young man watching that. I said, and when I say young, I mean like in my twenties as a young man watching that, I said, he got the moves boy. Here's what he did before he went into the studio that day. He went into a room and the room was completely barren. It was an empty room. He got down on his hands and knees and he said, God, I am your vessel. What do you want me to say today? And here's what God said to Bobby Brown. Hold hold on. Zip. Get busy. Everybody's talking all this stuff about me. Why don't they just let me live? I don't need commission. Make my own decisions. That's my motherfucking prerogative. And Bobby Brown said, that's what you want me to say, God? And God was like, I'm not done, bitch. He said, then he said, they say I'm crazy. I really don't care. That's my prerogative. They say I'm nasty, but I don't give a damn. Getting girls is how I live. Some messy questions. Why am I so real? 
but they don't understand me. I really don't know the deal about her brother trying hard to make it right. Oh, really? He didn't know the whole story about that? No, he's trying to figure it out. Dude, he needs no, he needs to he needs to hear the whole story, dude. If he doesn't know the shit about her her brother, dude. What's he doing? What's he doing even lacing up his shoes and going in that studio? I do think he needs to know the full story about the brother before he starts singing a, a song. I mean, here's what I do know. He's got the moves, boy, for sure. But he does need to find out a little bit more information about her brother. He says, don't get me wrong. I'm really not souped. By the way, a lot of our listeners aren't 100% on hip-hop lingo. They're like maybe 80, 90%. I'm 100% on hip-hop lingo. Souped means when you have a meal and it's you don't have anything that's not soup. Right. It's just 100% soup. Your appetizer is soup. Your entree is soup. Your dessert is soup. Right. So when he's doing all those moves, when he's got the moves, boy, he needs to be souped. Because if he's got anything like a, a piece of chicken or a piece of broccoli or dare I dare say a carrot, anything with, you know some hardness to it, it he's not going to be able to move like that well, he has to be 100 percent souped right and i here's what i don't want to i don't want anyone to misunderstand there are right. things like a broccoli or a carrot in the soup but they've been pureed into soup yeah 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 he's not just no like, no he's not just eating like chicken broth <laughs> no, <laughs> vegetables no. and shit God, in there. Uh, no yeah of course dude what do you think he, you, uh, he's gonna boil water and call that soup with a stone in it at the bottom and then like not eat the stone but just say i'm eating soup and then it was like no that's just hot water that had a stone in it no come on not bobby come Brown. on come on come on come on let's get real i mean i know look he doesn't know anything about the situation with with the girl's brother no, he doesn't i he mean he knows some about it though he knows a little bit about the brother situation well, he, he just doesn't know the whole story not a, dude he doesn't definitely doesn't know the whole if he knew the whole story he wouldn't even have laced up his shoes he wouldn't have gotten souped he would have probably eaten a piece of bread actually you know what i've gotten it wrong he he i'm going back to the source material here he does he literally says i really don't know the deal about her brother so he no. doesn't know shit about the brother no dude he's just he, look he heard something he heard Somebody mentioned like, hey, you do know the deal about her brother, right? He heard the, the little, little, like, he heard a little scuttle. Like, so, yeah, well, somebody brought it up and he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't happy when, so, when, when they brought it up. The first thing he said when he heard about it, he said, I didn't even know she had a brother. That was the first thing he said when he heard about that. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And then the guy telling him said, well, it sounds like you guys have a lot to talk about. And he was like, right. yeah, you're goddamn right we do. So, yeah. So, he's basically getting ready to chat with her. But before they chat, he wants to make sure that she knows that, you know, whatever he does, it's, you know, MP. Well, he says he doesn't need commission. He makes his own decisions. And, you know, that's not a bad philosophy to get behind. He says later in the song, yo, Teddy, kick it like this. Oh, no, no. I can do what I want to do. Me and you together. And who's Teddy? Said, <laughs> is that Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt? Brother? Is, t- it might be is he Teddy- talking to is he talking to Teddy Roosevelt or is, Teddy Ruxpin? When, was Roosevelt still alive in the eighties? How long did he live? Uh, Let's look in the Wikipedia. Oh yeah, he's still years. alive. Yeah. <laughs> he's still Teddy Roosevelt is still alive. He actually just got his COVID vaccine. That's how old he is. Well, I just when I read the lyrics of the song, I feel bad because everyone's talking about him and they won't just let him live. And I'm like, yeah, that's Bobby, a bummer. I'm like, Bobby, I'll let you live. I'm not talking about you. I mean, I am today, but frankly, you brought it up. And dude, you dude, brought what it if up, you had, and so now I'm talking about it. Dude, if you had a time machine, I know a lot of people would be like choose a lot of different things, but would you just go back in time and tell Bobby, hey, man, 
I'm cool with that. I'm letting cool. you live. I'm cool with your strange relationships. I, would and that I, be your Would yeah. that be your first stop? 1980. What year was that? 83, four, five, uh, seven, eight, nine. I don't know. the The details are lost to time, as most things are. But some people would go back and kill baby Hitler. Some people would go back and take a. They would take do a little stop and chat with JC Jesus Christ. Yeah, and you're familiar with him, and. Oh, yeah. uh, some people would go back and, you know, visit their parents when their parents were children. People would do a lot of things. It's 88. You actually nailed it, baby. On the album, Don't Be Cruel. I would go back to 88 and be like, Bobby, 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 listen to me. You were spending too much time defending your right to make your own decisions. I want to free you up from that because you need to put more energy into figuring out what the fucking deal is with her brother. Right. And I release you. I'm setting you free from having to defend yourself. Right. About your strange relationships. Right. Right. He right. Then he's writing a whole different song. Then instead of my prerogative at the top of the charts, here's the next hit song from Bobby Brown. I know what's up with her fucking brother now. Oh, yeah. He right. And it's a global smash. He right. Speaking of global smashes, uh, we wanted to talk about your album, and I, I definitely want to talk about it. So it seems like you feel pretty good about what happened with it, which is... Does that always happen? No. Uh, I feel like it happened on the last record. I feel like I felt pretty good about Blood and Bones. But what happens with all the records? They're just like kids. You you push them out into the world. You're real happy with them when they're babies. And then as you get to know them, as you get to find out who they are, you get, you get to know them a little better. You realize, oh, this baby's not as... Uh, my first baby was lonely land and that kid grew up great kid some of my other records problem smokers uh drug abuse you know some well, of them didn't didn't have the moves boy let's go down the list i'm good now pretty good pretty good mostly good that's the thing so here's the deal so as a every record always this always happens there's good songs and then there's songs that aren't so good what I've always tried to do with all my records is make sure every song on the record's good. Now, the only record I feel like that there's two records where I don't think that's the case. One's called Burner Proof. And the reason I don't think all the songs are great on that record is because I had a criteria, which was they all had to have string arrangements. So I had some songs that weren't that great, but they had string arrangements. So they went on the record. And I found out, oh, that's a bad idea. Now, are some of those songs some of my fans' favorite songs? Yeah. But just as a songwriter, I know they're not that great. So I'm not crazy about them. The other record that had the same sort of thing was a record called The Californian, which really what we wanted to do is we wanted to record a live record of what the band sounded like at that time because Billy Harvey was about to leave the band. I wanted to record that band. Rafael Gallo on drums, uh, the rest of the guys. Bruce Hughes, <laughs> whoever else was fucking in the band at the time. <laughs> Anyways, and same thing with that record. We just, we did all the songs that kind of showcased the band. We didn't necessarily record the best songs. We just recorded the ones where the band sounded the best. What I've done on all my other records is recorded my favorite songs that I had at that point. And so... To a greater or lesser degree, all the other records are f mostly filled with good songs. Now, there are, even on like Lovely Creatures, which is a great record, there's two or three songs that aren't good. I wouldn't put them on if I recorded 
the record again. With the exception of Lonely Land, which where I would re-record every song on there, and I would still play any of those songs today uh, at any show. I think they all hold up. I feel like this record as a whole, you know, having written songs now for 30 years, as a whole, I think it's the best record I've ever done from beginning to end in terms of the quality of the songs. Now, are there other songs I've written that are better than maybe some of the songs on this record? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Are the, are the songs all new? They're all, yeah, they're all from the last few years. Yeah. Because I remember when we did King Kong, that was like half newish stuff, but a lot of songs on King Kong were older tunes, like Ready, Let's Roll, been around for a minute. Right. Well, Ready, Let's Roll went on King Kong, and the reason I hadn't recorded that is because that's part of F-A-Y-M, which mm-hmm. is this rock opera, fuck all you motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of holding it for that. And it finally got to the point where it's like, I don't know when that's going to come out. So why don't I just use this song? I play it all the time. It's one of my favorite songs. It's one of my favorite live songs. I want to put it on a record so that people can have it, so they can listen to it. Uh, so that's why it finally went on that record. But yeah, this song, most of the songs that are on this record were all written in 2018. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, there are a few songs. There's uh, I, uh, The World Turns Blue. I think I wrote that in uh, 2015. But most of them are from most of them are from 2018, maybe one from one or two from 2017, but they're all new. So why'd you pick the world turns blue from 2015? I mean, you have 50 songs from that year. Why that one? Uh, I just I, I I've wanted to record that song. I love that song, and uh, it, I just felt like it fit on this record. I mean, we, I I started with about 30 songs and shaved it down to 12. And I had some songs that I was going to record that I ended up not recording. Uh, I wasn't going to record Boys You Like. I wasn't going to record uh, The Band Played On. And then my wife and manager both were like, insisted that I put those songs on the record, which I'm glad I did because they're probably, you know, they're great. So I, I guess what I'm saying is all, every song is great on the record. Now, the difference, the the big difference on this record is that there was a lot more, like normally it, you would have flown into Austin to play mm-hmm. on this record. Uh, you would have done it at the studio, at Dwight Baker's studio. We didn't do that this time because of, I don't know if you've been keeping track, but we in that pandemic, brah. <laughs> so you did it at home, which was cool. But that also was a, like a little kind of back and forth where you would do yeah. some, normally you'd be in the studio and you'd go down, 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 down. And we'd be like, perfect. Or you'd go down, 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 down. And we'd be like, not perfect. And then you'd go down, 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 down. And we go, that's it. So we had to do a little back and forth, but we got it. And, and dude, the solos that you put in there, the playing that you did was phenomenal. Like y- you have a solo on Montgomery, which is on King Kong, which, mm-hmm. I dare, I'm going to say top five rock solos of all time. It's up there with David Gilmore's whatever song he did on fucking some Pink Floyd album. That's definitely my best recorded solo of my entire career, for sure.
It's one of the great rock guitar solos of all time. It just happens to be on this record, and Clint Wells just happens to be the person that's playing it. But it's up there with, like, you know, Hotel California. It's up there with uh, We Will Rock You. It's up there with... Uh, What's the other good one? Uh, eruption. It's up there with Eruption. Like, it's up there with the top ones. I love this company. Yeah, yeah. So, and I feel like you came close on uh, Small Dreams. Beautiful solo that you did there. I've never recorded a solo that way because what had happened is there was another solo there. Right. The, Kevin the, McKinney originally kind of played who, guitar. Who's a that. great guitar player. I, you know, I know him, you've known him a long time, but he's a, an amazing guitar player and an artist and a songwriter and all that. But he'd already done a solo that just wasn't right. And that happens. I've played shit on stuff that just ended up not being right, but we couldn't get a version of the song without that solo. So you're, so I tracked the new solo over that while that solo was happening, which is a psychedelic experience. That's <laughs> that's it'd not be like ideal. me. It'd be like me trying to sing the lyrics over somebody else singing yeah. the lyrics. Yeah, and but singing different lyrics, different lyrics because right. it needed to be different. Uh, right, but it ended up working out. Like uh, when I heard it, I listened to the whole record the other day for the first time and loved it. By the way, congrats. But when I got to that moment, I was like, I was a little trepidatious about how it turned out. And I think it turned out fucking great. I'm really proud of it. It's really, really cool. And you did another solo, another big, gigantic solo on Sun's Coming, which is yeah. fantastic. So both those solos are great. But then you did a lot of really, you know, beautiful- Like texture. Sort of understated textures and, and stuff. You're really great at that. In fact, when I first met you, you were playing with Griffin House. And I remember- that's what I really loved about your guitar playing. Like I've never been a big guitar hero person. I think that should be used very uh, sparingly. Uh, sparingly. Your song doesn't ask for it either. I mean, you have a few songs that build those moments in, like Montgomery's one of those for sure. But a lot of your music isn't set up to feature that. You know, right? Your live shows are really about the rhythm and about the lyrics and delivery and about you. And so, you know, I think 
the performers on stage with you need to get that. I think a big part of playing with you, and I think I was suited for it, is getting that memo real quick. And being ready to step out and do something cool, but it might not happen. One night I might do a solo in bullets. One night Ollie might do it on a trumpet, you know, or one night you might do a key solo. It's just, your gig is very much like a crash course in like learning how to listen and be pre- be in a moment on stage, which is really cool. I, I think all musicians should try to get a taste of what that's like. And if you don't have an artist you can do it with, you should try to build it yourself and whatever you're doing. Because it's, it's a very interesting way to learn how to make music and make it feel kinetic and real. Because I would be, I mean, that first tour, I was scared to death because I, d- I didn't know what the fuck we were going to do. Then you get muscle for that. You learn how to swim in those waters and then it's thrilling. Because, you right. know, the gig I had for the last four years, we played the same set list every gig. Exact same stuff. Exact same every now, day. Some people find a lot of comfort in knowing exactly yeah. what they're going to do. Yeah. I I wanted to kill myself. Like if I had to do the same set every night, literally I would just stop playing music. But I do remember when King Kong came out, I think this was around South by because we were playing a bunch of shows in a row. We were pretty much just playing that record. And that felt right. pretty that felt pretty good. Yeah. Because it was the same band that had made the record, except for maybe Monzi. And we were and we had been touring a lot, so we just, the songs were tight, dude. Yeah, they were tight. They were so tight. Tight. Well, here's the thing, dude. I used to be like back in the early 2000s, I had this thing where I was like, every time I played the song, we have to do it a different way. Every time. And that was so hard and so not fun. Like I thought it was fun, but actually now over the years I've realized, oh, that's not fun at all. What's fun is figuring out what the song is and doing it that way with all the finesse and skill and sophistication of all the people that I get to play with. That's what's fun. And then if you, if I want to have fun, play, just mix in other songs. I don't need to rewrite every song every time. Now, every once in a while, we'll take a song that we've done and we'll do it slightly different. And that's fun as well. But don't, you don't need to rewrite the recipe every time. And, and so what I've done more and more over the years is figure out, not even figure out, but we just learn the song a certain way and then we play it that way. And then I do like the idea of, you know, like if we have 10 songs that are really strong, like we were doing during that King Kong, we play those songs every time because it's different audiences every night that we play. So I get it. The, 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 the thing that I never want to do though, is I never want to go back to the same place and play that, those same songs again to those same people, even though, those people would love to hear those same songs again. But me personally, as a as a listener going to a show, if I go see a band twice and I go back and they're playing the same stuff the second time, I will never go see that band again. Why should I? Right. Well, I definitely noticed that in the, the last gig I had. I mean, we did the same set for almost four years and it definitely seemed like diminishing returns with crowds when we were touring. It, it just why we didn't give really anyone any reason to check keep checking it out and that got real stale for me you know i and think especially when you're an artist like you you have so much material like some artists don't have that much strong material so they have to f- find ways to just regurgitate the same 15 songs but you have the material for it well i definitely feel like when i go see anybody play 
I want it to be like the guy walking between the World Trade Center. It's fine if there's a net, but I want to have at least the illusion that they could fall, maybe not die, but fall and fuck up and like really embarrass themselves. Like, and I feel like there's bands that like work out this like perfect thing and that's great and that's fine. But I don't, I want to be scared. Like when Mm -hmm. I go see a show, when I see somebody play, I want to be scared. I want to be like, I don't know what's happening here. Dude, when I saw Author and Punisher, I was fucking scared. I was like, I don't know what this fucking is. Right. When he was like, too young to be younger, not old enough to be younger than old. I was like, what did he just say? Yeah. And what is this? Is he slamming two pieces of steel together and then magnifying it and slowing it down and adding reverb? Because my butt just fell out of my ass. <laughs> and all the poop is in a puddle between my legs. So then when by the time Tool came on, I was like, oh, this is nice. This is nice rock music. I still can't believe you left after a couple of songs. Dude, I left after like literally about 30 minutes. I was like, I've had enough. Which is like two songs. I know. They had they had four more songs for the night. Uh the last thing I wanted to talk about, I haven't heard this in years, but you remember that uh, I, I think it was going to be called Super Shit, where we recorded like seven of the rock tunes. Well, I wanted to do a I wanted to do a record called Super Shit that was going to be all the songs that have profanity in them, like too much profanity to put on my records. Right. Like I have a song called Super Shit, and the it's like I like the super way you do your super shit. I've never put that on a record, but I love that song. And I have a bunch of songs that are kind of like Fist City that are, you know, where I use the word fuck a lot. I've always wanted to make a record. I just never have done it. Well, we did, we did the dragon. We did the beer. We did set yourself free. Oh, right, right. No, we were in the studio recording something else. And my manager was there and we're like, Hey man, these are going to be the songs for the next record. And we blasted through eight songs live, live. Yeah. And, a couple of those, the basic tracks, the bass and drums for a couple of those songs ended up on King right. Kong. That was the unknown and um, Ready, Let's Roll. I don't know what it was, but oh, man, uh, yeah. But man, that's on The Dragon. Oh, I love that song. We're all trapped with the president said, wake up your big sleepy head, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. When was the last time you played the dragon? That song is fucking killer. I've played it a couple times on my live stream. I, I made a I made a track for it because uh, the original song, the demo was horrible, so I made a new one. And uh, I love that song. It's one of my. It's such a great idea. Well, here's what we'll say at the end. Here, don't worry about IOK Patreon. We're doing okay, baby. But go to the bobschneider.com slash or patreon.com slash bobschneider and you can hear the whole new album early. Months and months early, right? Not just hear it, you can download it. In fact, here's what you do. If you're not if you're not already a Patreon member, 
Go to patreon.com backslash Bob Schneider. The you can you can sign up for like as low as five bucks a month. Just sign up, download the new record, download two hundred of my songs of my demos, and then quit. And dude, I think if you just quit like a day later, I don't even think you get charged that five bucks. You can get it all for free. That's your hack right there. There's three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars worth of free stuff. You're welcome, dude. I'm not a good businessman. Here's the other thing you should do. If you enjoy this podcast, which I know you do because you're listening, if you're still listening, that is, which you are, here's here's who's listening, 100% of the people that are listening. Hard to argue go to, that. Go to patreon.com backslash I-O-K, the letters I-O-K, and join today because here's the deal. This takes time to put this podcast together. Like I know it sounds like we're just doing it, but it's actually edited. Clint spends all the time working on it. He spends a ton of time editing this, putting it together, getting it ready. That's not free. Now, we give it to you free because why? Because we're drug dealers. And the first one's always free. But if this is the third one or the fifth one, you're probably like saying to yourself, why am I feeling not good about myself? It's because you're mooching. Quit mooching. Patreon.com backslash IOK. Stop you mooching and start smooching Ooh. because you will feel better. You're going to get that BDE, which everybody wants. Everybody wants that BDE, and there's no better way to get it. Fuck Viagra. Fuck Cialis. If you want to give yourself and the person you love the greatest Valentine present of all time, give them that BDE by going to patreon.com backslash IOK. Sign up today and you'll get lots of goodies. Until next time, I'm Bob Schneider. And I'm Clint Wells. And you've been listening to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay. You're not okay. Bye. Peace. (laughs) 